Thanks for tuning in to the hottest talk radio show around. Providing an open discussion for some of the most important social issues and trending topics today. From personal growth or spirituality to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So prepare to be empowered, enlightened, and entertained during another episode of the award-winning Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. Real people, real topics, real talk. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Will Strayhorn. It is Tuesday, March the 12th, 2019. We are already in the month of March. Um, Last week, we did not have a show. Um, And I was in Washington, D.C. As you may know, um, March is National Kidney Awareness Month. And for those of you who may not know, I am a seven-year kidney disease survivor. I have a successful kidney transplant of seven years. I had one on February the 11th, 2012. I always remember that day, not only because it gave me my life back, but because that was the day that uh, Whitney Houston passed away. You know, I was the world's number one Whitney Houston fan. And um, yeah, that was a bittersweet day for me. I was on dialysis for for six years prior to that. I had, um, I did PD, which is peritoneal dialysis. A lot of people, when they think of dialysis, they um, have the image of being hooked up to the machine, the needles in your arm, and with blood. There was no blood in the procedure that, that I did. Um, I had a catheter that was implanted in my in my peritoneal cavity, which is in my abdomen. And uh, while I slept, it cleansed my blood. And then um, I would get up in the morning and release some fluid in me, which would act as a kidney and pull out all toxins and everything. And um, I would go on my day. So, yeah, that's it. But like I said, uh, we went to, we didn't have a show because they had the National Kidney Patient Summit, the National Kidney Foundation that I am a, um, I advocate for. I am also a peer mentor for, for people who get the diagnosis that their kidneys are failing or that they may have to go on dialysis or whatever um, medical diagnosis dealing with their kidneys and who, people who may have a hard time dealing with it. I know when I when I was diagnosed, I automatically thought that it meant death. Um, and I didn't know anything about the peer mentor program. So um, um, for people who get that, they'll contact the National Kidney Foundation. And they're a team of mentors, just like myself, who they'll put them in contact with. And then we'll answer any questions. We'll be a mentor. We'll be a friend. We'll let them know what to expect, you know, help clear up any myths perhaps that they may have. Um, and share our experience. But once a year, the National Kidney Foundation, um, they have what's called the Kidney Patient Summit, which is in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill. And I was one of the two representatives from the state of Virginia. And we had, oh, I think we probably had about 100 advocates from every state in the country. Um, who we will go, and we will meet, and then we will go on Capitol Hill, and we will talk to our elected officials to tell them what we need to see if we can get their support um, behind some legislation. And let me just give you a few facts in case you don't know about kidney disease. So 73 million, that's one in three American adults, is currently at risk for developing kidney disease. 30 million, one in nine American adults, are estimated estimated to have chronic 
kidney disease, although most of them do not know. A lot of people say that's like silent disease because I really didn't know that I had it. I remember when I was 22, um, I had a, like a pre-employment exam where the nurse came up to the house to get blood work and then they did a urinalysis. Um, and I remember um, getting the results for the urinalysis. I was approved for the job and the insurance policy and everything like that. But I remember having protein in my urine, uh, and I didn't know what that meant. Um, I know my primary care doctor, he didn't seem too concerned about it because, you know, we didn't discuss it. I wasn't on any type of medication or anything. So it went by. It went un, undealt with or undiagnosed for about 11 years. And then when I was like 30, 30 some years, 30, maybe 34, um, my primary care doctor had told me that um, my creatinine, which is basically the, measures your kidney function, uh, was a little abnormal. So he sent me to my nephrologist, a kidney doctor, um, and my kidney doctor did some more lab work. And then when I came in, you know, he just basically walked in the office very coldly and, you know, directly said, you know, your kidneys are failing and you're going to have to go on dialysis. Um, and I was just like in shock. I didn't take anybody with me because I really didn't think it was, I thought it was just a routine visit, you know, um, did not expect that him for him to tell me that my kidneys were failing and definitely not that I was going to have to go on dialysis. So basically what I heard him say was that my kidneys were failing and that I was going to die. Um, so, of course, that, that just initiated a long-term depression. Um, I was actually planning my funeral because everybody that I had known that had been on dialysis ended up dead. Um, but I'm still here, and I was on dialysis, like I said, for six years. Um, six years, yeah, and I got my kidney transplant in 2012. But it was a, it was a whole bunch of us um, on Capitol Hill, and we were, like I said, visiting our legislators. We dealt with our Congress people and with our senators, asking them for things. The three, three things that we were talking about is we need support behind the Living Donor Protection Act, and those are for people who want to donate, who are living. Uh, my kidney came from a deceased donor, someone who passed who was a um, organ donor, um, and we're trying to pass the act for living donors because they really do um, give the best kidneys if you're living, and then relatives give the absolute best kidneys. Um, but we're trying to get protections for them because right now, as it is, if someone wants to donate their kidney, they could be found, um, like if they were to try to go and get some type of a disability insurance, a life insurance, um, or long-term care insurance, they can either be declined, denied the insurance, or they can be given a a premium that is so high that they can't afford it. There was a guy there that was, I think, from New York or California. I can't I can't remember, but um, he himself was an attorney, and he was a living donor. He was there as well, um, and he was saying that he had donated his his kidney to, I believe, it was a family member. And that he was having trouble getting an insurance policy, um, even though in order to donate a kidney, you have to be in top shape. So he was extremely healthy. But because he had donated a kidney to his relative, they were declining him coverage. But him being a lawyer, he sued. And I think he said it went on for a couple of years. But in the end, they did offer him a policy. But the policy was at $20,000 a year 
who should pay that? Um, so he fought it, and um, but that's one of the things that we're trying to get. We're trying to get um, it passed the Living Donor Protection Act so that people cannot be discriminated against because um, they've donated, because they've been a hero to somebody and donated their kidney. Right now they can be denied. They can be given astronomical sentences, um, um, not sentences, but astronomical premiums um, based strictly on the fact that they were a living donor. Kidney from being rejected by my body because my body basically recognizes it as a foreign object. So everything goes to try to attack it. But um, we're given drugs which, which are called anti-rejection or immunosuppressant that suppress our immune system so it doesn't fight off the, the kidney. Um, and you need that for the, for the kidney. But right now, um, Medicare only covers three years. So after the three years, you're on your own. And the medication can be very expensive. So a lot of people end up having to, um, they end up rejecting the kidney, which puts them back on dialysis and back waiting for um, another kidney. And that costs Medicare, it costs Medicare a hundred and, I want to say $118 billion for people to stay on, for everyone to stay on dialysis in a year. Um, but when you cover the medication, the medication per patient is only $2,300. So it just makes sense financially, um, being that dialysis is the leading expense on the Medicare system, dialysis, um, to cover the medication indefinitely for the life of the kidney. And then the last thing that we were up there asking for is um, for the appropriation so that we were given more funding. I think we were asking for a million dollars extra for research and for funding because there's a lot of technology out there. I know there um, people were, were speaking of the artificial kidneys and the different devices and different technology that they were finding that would take the place of the kidney, um, and we need more funding so that people can explore that because there is no cure for kidney disease. And other than, even though you can get a kidney transplant, I have a transplant, um, it's still a treatment. It's not a cure for kidney disease. And even though I'm not claiming it, thank you, Jesus, I'm not claiming it, it's only expected to last, I believe, can up to 14 years on the, on a regular um, but there are people there who've had their kidneys for 30 years and on. I'm doing my best to take care of mine, but, you know, if they were to come up with some type of technology, which is perhaps an artificial kidney, um, it could keep people off of dialysis, and it can improve their quality of life. So those, that's what we were doing up there last year, what they can do, and find out the connections. Because usually if you talk to somebody, Somebody has a connection with kidney disease. It may not be them or in their direct family, but they know a friend or they know, you know, a distant relative who had some type of an issue um, with kidney disease. Yeah, so that's what that was last week. We didn't have a show, but thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, on to the chat. A lot of things going on in the news. I was still taking notes right before the show because I was reading about the scandal with uh, Felicity Huffman from from Desperate Housewives, and Lori Laughlin from Full House and her husband. Um, so they're calling it Hollywood privileges, like Hollywood actors and actresses, CEOs, um, all charged with bribery 
for top colleges admissions, trying to get their kids into schools that you know they don't qualify for, even for sports teams that they've never even played for. So um, I believe it was Felicity Huffman. They paid like um, I wrote down how much she paid. Total, oh, she paid $15,000 to get her kids in elite colleges, and Lori Laughlin paid $500,000 in, in bribes, her, her husband, to get her two daughters into um, a sports program in school that they don't even play. They don't even play the sport. Um, but this is crazy. They have a um, total of $6 million between 33 wealthy parents uh, were paid to college admission reps to bribe SAT proxters to rig the test results and help qualify them to get into these top colleges. So, you know, I was listening to it. It's nothing I was surprised of. Um, of course, people with money, they feel um, more privileged. They, of course, feel more elite. And, of course, they want their kids associated and their name associated to schools like Harvard and Princeton and things like that. Um, those schools weren't necessarily mentioned, but I'm just saying the top Ivy League schools that people want to be associated with. Um, of course, Hollywood privilege. So I'm not really shocked that this is happening. Um, but it's, it's funny to me that a lot of issues are being brought, a lot of the things that have been going on, um, like with the R. Kelly situation, uh, Michael Jackson, which we'll talk, we'll talk about both of those tonight. Um, and now this Hollywood privilege, colorism, all that, all those things are being brought to the light now, to the forefront. Um, and they're saying that people are going to have to spend jail behind this, go in jail. Um, I believe they arrested Felicity Huffman. She's already arrested. Lori Laughlin, she's facing arrest, but her husband has already been arrested um, for this, paying almost 33 people, paying almost Six million dollars. You know, I wonder who was the whistleblower. Who was the one who, who tipped off the, the fact that you know this was going on and gave the name. Somebody probably that didn't necessarily get into the school. I'm sure. Um, I'll be I'll be interested. I'm going to follow that. I just got that information right before the show started. But then coming on, Monique, my girl Monique. She's always speaking up. You know, I can't be mad with her because I understand that. Um, She's almost in a situation where she she probably feels like she has nothing to lose. Um, I know, what, a couple of years ago, she was um, kind of blackballed right after um, Precious, and she had said something derogatory against Oprah Winfrey, Lee Daniels, and Tyler Perry, and then she was saying they blackballed her. Um, and then she came out against Netflix because I think Amy Schumer had gotten – so much, much, so much millions of dollars for a stand-up special to be aired, and then Monique was offered less. Um, so she doesn't mind speaking her voice, speaking her truth. But right now she's talking about the. I don't know if you guys saw the was the Finding Neverland, Leaving Neverland special on HBO when they talked about the two guys um, who claim that Michael Jackson had molested them. And these are the same guys who. Um, some years ago, um, let's see, 2004-2005, um, said that he didn't do it. You know, got him off the hook. But now that Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson is deceased, um, 
the story changed, and they have a special on HBO called Leaving Neverland. And then Oprah did a show um, called After Neverland on her own station. Um, But I believe it must have also been on HBO because I was in the hotel. When I saw it, I was up last week in D.C. um, And I think I turned to HBO. I think that's where I also saw Oprah's. But I was kind of shocked. I have to be honest. I was kind of shocked when I saw it because, to me, it seemed like she, number one, was in agreement with what they were saying. And she had kind of prefaced the whole conversation with this is what she was trying to do some years ago when she was talking about. She was almost co-signing on everything they said. Um, And, no, I was shocked. Not shocked that Oprah was being vocal about it, but that it almost seemed like, you know, even though Michael Jackson was not there to defend himself, um, he was found innocent of the situation. It just seemed like Oprah was co-signing just with what they were saying. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't a unbiased interview. It was like she was co-signing with um, everything the guys were saying. Um, so I don't know. Oprah, this is what what um, Monique said. She said, "Here's a man that was found not guilty in the eyes of the law." And then she, she was saying of uh, the 2004-2005 trial when he was accused of molesting a 13-year-old boy. She said, and you wait for 10 years after this man was deceased to now do an interview with people who said they lied, which is true. The guys did admit that, you know, or they did say that they had lied. Monique noted that Robson's lawsuit against Jackson's estate was tossed out of court in 2014. She also bashes Oprah for going to the Jackson's home where she liberally complimented him. So, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, if anybody – wants to call in. The show number is 619-924-9765, 619-924-9765. Do you think Oprah was wrong in hosting the special and giving these two men a platform, um, especially when Michael Jackson is deceased and not able to defend himself? Um, but then he was also found innocent of this charge because the guy said um, that they had lied. I, I'm I'm kind of I don't know I I would like I said I was shocked when I saw Oprah doing the show. Um, well, I can't say I was shocked when I saw her doing the show. I was shocked when she was co-signing. I was shocked when she was talking about. Um, they were I know I remember a part when they were talking about um, being afraid that no one will believe them. And one of the guys was really 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 shy. He wasn't really talkative. He was kind of quiet. But and Oprah would ask him questions, and he wouldn't he wouldn't really reply, but she would almost answer the questions for him, and then he would agree with it. So I was shocked at that. I was kind of shocked with that one. Um, and then you know, as a as a result of this this show leaving Neverland, um, the Simps- these are some of the things that have happened. Just a few of them: Simpsons cartoon series. They pulled the M- Michael Jackson episode. Um, Drake is considering, he's either considering or he has already pulled his song um, with Michael Jackson that um, has been playing recently from his tour. Um, And then there's a statue in the museum that is being removed. Um, And then a lot of radio stations which are pulling Michael Jackson songs from um, their playlists and their rotation. There's a lot of things that are going on, even though um, he's not here to um, defend himself. Which brings me to my point. I have a question. So, do you think that there is a hidden agenda 
And I know I, I hate to keep saying, you know, this conspiracy theory. But first, they took down Bill Cosby. Some stuff that happened. Allegedly. And then the attacks on R. Kelly. You know, I, and I, I haven't voiced my stance on the situation with R. Kelly yet. Um, I do have something I want to talk about pertaining R. Kelly. But regarding that sentence, you know, R. Kelly was worth millions. R. Kelly's worth, his net worth is less than $100,000 now. Um, and then now this is Michael Jackson that it is taking down. We still have yet to hear about anything from Harvey, what is the Weinstein, um, anybody in that situation. But I don't even know if they've been to court yet. But um, I believe Harvey Weinstein... He happened either before, did he happen before Bill Cosby or after Bill Cosby? I'm not sure, but he should have been to court for something by now. And I have not heard anything about his situation. So I'm kind of starting to think. I've heard people talk about there's a conspiracy. Bill Cosby was about to either purchase a network or open a network, and then he got caught. Um, Of course, Michael Jackson has been deceased for over 10 years. But, well, not not 10 years, because, well, no, yeah, 10 years. Um, and now he's under attack again. These guys are, they want, they wanted to come forward. Now I know one guy said that he's having trouble dealing with things. I don't know, but you know, I'm kind of giving this conspiracy theory some thought now and I'm looking at, um, what's going to happen in in some other situations to see how they come out with it. But yeah, our girl JLo, JLo and Alex Rodriguez got married this, this past Saturday in Bahamas. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures on the internet, but Alex present her with a 15 carat emerald cut diamond. Oh my God, this is beautiful. Um, and this is uh, this was I don't know if she knew it was going to happen, but they've been dating for two years. Yeah, and this is actually going to be A Rod's second marriage, and it's going to be J Lo's fourth marriage. Um, I remember this past weekend I was watching TV and one of um, A-Rod's former baseball player mates, um, I think his name was Jose Canseco, said that um, he cheated on J-Lo, that the guy that Alex cheated on J-Lo with his wife recently. Um, But evidently, um, I guess Jennifer is disregarding that one. I don't know. But, you know, do you think the fourth time will be a charm. This is her fourth marriage and his second marriage. Um, I was talking with um, one of the people who come and co-host every now and then. Um, do you think? I asked. Do you know? You think there's a, a greater chance of a relationship or a marriage working? You know, when you have multiple marriages, because you, I, you, I guess you're expected to have learned from some of your mistakes. I don't know, but. Um, Four times, uh, it's kind of hard with four marriages to say that it's always uh, the person when the when the 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 common denominator is the person in the relationship. Um, so I don't know. I'm wishing J Lo and A Rod the best. I know they're both they're a beautiful couple. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm wishing them the best. But four marriages. I don't know. They've been together for two years. I don't know the purpose. I I don't know the um, importance of being married what what that is um and i think i brought that question up um i did two weeks ago with my co-host paula 
I asked her um, a question about, you know, long-term dating or being in a committed relationship versus taking that step towards marriage, you know, what that meant. <sighs> I'm not sure. We'll have to see that. But, um, you know, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. I have about two more topics. And then our guest, we have Ms. Catherine Oman, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's going to talk to us about tantric dating, tantric dating in a little bit. So <laughs> you're listening to Let's Face It. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We'll be right back. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. In history, I learned that I'm trash. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In English, I learned that I make people sick. And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I learned that no one In biology, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today... The only thing I didn't learn today... The only thing I didn't learn... Is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at StopBullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind like season-ending injuries. There's the necessary kind like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama, like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text DIPLOMA to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out. That's DIPLOMA to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. She could have been your daughter, your sister, your friend. On a cold autumn day, 19-year-old Arlen decided to end her life. She tucked a tiny stuffed rabbit into one pocket and a suicide note in the other. She said she wanted to be with her baby. Her friend said she didn't want the abortion. Most women don't. Over 60% involve coercion. They say the worst part of the pain is that there's no one to share it with. Learn more about unwanted abortions and how to help or find help at theunchoice.com. You're now listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. Now back to the show. Welcome back. All right. So, um, okay, so Will Smith is has just gotten cast to be um, to, in a project that's coming up to play the father of Venus and Serena Williams, Mr. Richard Williams. There's a, a film coming out. Um, I guess it's going to talk about his life because he basically coached them from nothing because he wasn't a trained um, tennis coach at all. 
um, was going to, I guess, project his life and how he got to to raise the two girls who became pretty much, arguably, two of the greatest tennis players in the world. Um, but there's a lot of a backlash about it because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Richard Williams is of the darker persuasion, and of course Will Smith is, you know, lighter. And that is basically what colorism is. Colorism is prejudice or discrimination of same race people, just basic, basically based upon their skin color or their skin tone. So a lot of people are kind of upset because they could have gotten, you know, darker skinned people, African-American men, to play the father, but they chose Will Smith. So, of course, people are upset. They're at arms and, you know, they're, they're speaking out. A lot of people have tweeted um, but they were saying the same thing happened with like Chadwick Boseman in the Thoroughgood Marshall show movie and Zoe Saldana um, in her casting with Nina Simone, um, the biopic. They said they used darker makeup for her. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, do you think it, it is colorism that um, Will Smith basically was chosen to play Richard Williams when I guess people like Idris Elba or Chadwick Boseman? Um, different people who perhaps may have resembled or gave a better illusion of him would have been possible. But you know where our guest is here, Ms. Catherine Oman. She is, like, as I said earlier, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's going to talk to us about tantric dating. I'm really interested to hear exactly what this is and, and her findings with it. So we're going to welcome to the show Ms. Catherine Oman. How are you? I'm great, Will. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem. No problem. So I'm curious. So how did you come to write about tantric dating? What is tantric dating, first of all? Well, I um, I became uh, single a few years back, and I was pretty shocked to see what I found out in the dating world. It seemed to be uh, pretty cold and uh, judgmental and prejudiced in a way that um, I didn't think people actually were in real life. And as I was trying to navigate the dating world, I went mm-hmm. back and uh, to some. I went back to some experiences I'd had when I was younger, when I was studying tantra, and I started uh, remembering some of those experiences. Such as, uh, in the conventional world, it seems like dating just based on looks, and in tantra, it was more based on how it feels to be with another person. Do you know what I mean? So, so how it feels. So what we would do is we would sit and uh, feel another person's, how how our bodies felt to be with another person rather than just how they looked. Mm -hmm. And sort of by going into a a meditative state and and, uh, feeling ourselves in our own bodies rather than just looking through the eyes, we could get a sense of how comfortable we felt with that person. In the mm-hmm. conventional world, all we're doing is swiping left and right based on looks. And right, that right. Strikes, strikes me as not a very uh, efficient way to judge whether or not we're going to be compatible with someone. This seems so obvious, but it's actually not when you're in the dating world because all you're doing is swiping left and right to decide if that person is someone you'd like to know, become best friends with. Mm-hmm. If you step outside the box a little bit, it's um, it's not a good way to find partners, which I think is one reason people are having so much trouble in relationships. Mm-hmm. So with this other method, so you you said how it feels 
to be with another person. So I'm trying to get a picture of the type the type setting. So looks is not a factor. Is that what you're saying? Well, of course, it's always a factor, but it shouldn't should be on the back burner, I believe. Okay. For example, in my in my workshops, we'll sit down with people and we'll start talking to them, and um, and maybe do a little meditation where we'll uh, experience ourselves inside our bodies and breathing, and kind of like you do in a yoga class. Okay. Kind of experience okay. yourself more feeling and breathing, and then. See if feel if you feel comfortable with that person more importantly than if you like how they look. Okay. Whether or not you because what we're doing is we're essentially when we're dating we're looking for someone to put our bodies next to eventually hug kiss make love to and right. that needs to be someone that our body likes to be around. It doesn't make sense to look for someone that we're going to feel comfortable spending a lot of time sitting on the couch, hugging, making love with just through what they look like. So it's an actual quite a reorientation towards what would, who would feel comfortable with me versus who is hot. Okay. Tantra is actually thought to be only about sex and it is very sex positive, but it's also the idea that everything and everyone is sacred Versus the idea that only, so everyone is worthy of love, which is, I'm sure, something you and your listeners agree with. In the dating world, however, it doesn't actually exist. In the dating world, people are very prejudiced against people who don't look a certain way, act a certain way, walk and talk and and squawk in a certain way. Exactly. Exactly. We really want to take our more spiritual sense into our dating lives whatever Mm -hmm. that might be, and uh, look with the eyes of love instead of the eyes of uh, rejection, which is so encouraged by the online dating, the apps, which is just swipe left, swipe right, swipe left, based on on the most superficial of criteria. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So you also mentioned bringing love and awareness to the dating process. Yeah, so, so... that means we sit down, for example, on a date. Most conventional dating is about looking for what's wrong for the other person and what will disqualify the other person. So we're sitting there, for example, and we're chatting over coffee and we're going, well, no, I don't like his shoes and I don't like where he went to school and I don't think I could live with someone who does that. And in tantric dating, we're actually looking for what is right about this person? What is lovely about this person what do i like already about this person i just did a workshop last weekend where some of the participants were saying it's quite revolutionary to sit down with a complete stranger and do an exercise of what are three things i like about this person already Mm -hmm. and going into the dating process this is a more loving approach to meeting other people than immediately looking for why i I couldn't get in a relationship with them, why I couldn't love them, why I swipe left and disqualify them. So we have first more of awareness of uh, that our bodies are involved in dating mm-hmm. rather than just our eyes, rather than just our mind. We have a second principle of bringing love into the dating process, which is 
bringing our spiritual beliefs, bringing our sense of what's right with people instead of immediately looking for what's wrong, which in the dating world, it's quite strange that people are looking for love mm-hmm. by being so unloving. I think this mm-hmm. is a, a lot why people aren't finding someone is because they are looking without the eyes of love. They're looking in judgmental ways that don't, aren't conducive to finding love. Right. And then love love is not attracted back. So let me ask you a question. So where does the initial, I mean, because like, like you were saying, with the conventional dating, a lot of the online stuff, it is the swipe left, swipe right. Um, because we're visual people, that's the initial attraction. So what's, what what initially draws you, as opposed to in, in contract dating, what is supposed to initially draw you to a person? Because you're saying in your workshops, I guess, what, do you pair people up or do they come with people? Or how we, does that work? In the workshop, we rotate people around so they get a chance to interact with everybody in the room. And okay. we practice being loving with everyone we try to put our, um, because we're in a, a workshop environment, we're able to experiment with, it. Um, first of all, I'm going to, I didn't swipe left or right in you on already. <laughs> You're here. And so I'm going to practice being as loving with you as possible. Okay. And then we might go to another partner. It's like, I'm going to practice being as loving with you as possible. And we might find that, which what what, what I found when I was studying Tantra is we might find that, we find an attraction to people that our eyes might not have necessarily picked out for us in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you walk into a room and you go, oh, these people don't really look like my type of people. Okay. Then, <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're like, uh, everyone here is so cool. Uh-huh. Everyone here is great. But you didn't have that when you first looked at them. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah. So that often happens in dating as we initially walk into the room and we go, oh, there's nobody here. Or we look online and we go, there's nobody here. And actually when we can start talking to people, getting to know them, relaxing into being with them, relaxing into feeling comfortable with them, we might find that we're attracted to people that our eyes might not have picked out for us. And that's a more loving way to go about it than just how close does this person look like a movie star. Okay. And is there, because I, I was reading, you know, in the your bio, so is there, when you're, people are going around and they're trying to be as loving as they can, is that uh-huh. sexual? Is that sexual? Well, no, not in, the, not in the workshops. We're trying to find, obviously in dating, we're trying to find someone to be sexual with eventually. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you'll agree the best sex in life is when we are really uh, feel very connected. comfortable and loving with the other person, right. very connected, right? very connected. So we're practicing in the workshop connection skills that are not actually sexual, but they're connection skills to how do, uh, how do two people who might be lovers someday actually feel connected. That's through the body, through the breath, through sharing through, through conversation it's not necessarily okay. i i like i like how that person looks so therefore i want to connect with them and then it often as we know didn't turn out to be who we expected okay 
So we kind of bypass picturing, touching, and like touching faces. So conversation to see if if there's a connection. So I guess it's a a combination of things happening. In the introductory workshops, we would just do a simple talking. Later on, when people get a little more advanced, we might do some arm stroking or some uh, face stroking after people get very comfortable with each other. And this also is learning awareness and love skills that then we can bring to a relationship rather than just what does a person look like, but how comfortable do our bodies feel touching and stroking each other Mm -hmm. so that someday we could have not only a a sexual friendship, but a, a real friendship that leads to a sexual friendship. Right. Uh, you may have had um, experts on your show before who talked about Dr. John Gottman, who uh, is yes. a re- yeah, he's a leading researcher in uh, what makes marriages work. Mm-hmm. And I love to quote him when he said that 70% of people in successful relationships say that the friendship is the most important thing. Absolutely. That's that's men and women say that friendship's the most important thing. And as a person who studied Tantra, I would like to add to that a friendship and a sexual friendship. What you're really looking for in dating is your best friend or your best And we didn't didn't choose our best friends by how they look. We, most of us didn't need to choose our best friend by how closely they look to a movie star. Right. So probably our best friend and our best sexual friend are not going to come the same way either. Exactly. Right. Catherine, you, now you say that you don't believe in chemistry, which is what basically in conventional dating we're taught to, to see who, who you have the strongest chemistry with you, but you don't believe that we should trust chemistry. Why is that? Well, what I've seen, Will, is that what people describe as chemistry often uh-huh. means several things. It might mean this person looks so much like a movie star or a rap star that I just need to have them. I just feel that chemistry. It mm-hmm. might mean unfinished business from my childhood. And an example I give in my book of this is uh, we've all heard the example of uh, somebody who was beat up in childhood and then uh, – not to be sexist, but we'll just uh, take an example of, we hear an example of a woman whose father beat her up and then she grows up and she attracts men who beat her up and we're like, what is going on? Why Why would Mm -hmm. she do that? And that's because she's going to be, feel chemistry with men who are like her father. Right. So we'll have these patterns that are not conscious, but when we meet a person who carries that uh, unfinished business from the so I'm not saying chemistry isn't delightful and we shouldn't enjoy feeling it. I'm just saying it's suspect and we ought to check it out and not just trust that, oh, I have so much chemistry with this person. Because chemistry could be a bad sign. Right. Okay. That and shouldn't be the same like thing that we gauge. People... Yeah. It's, what were you saying? Like a, uh-huh. I was saying it's, it could be a sign that this is just like the other people who have heard us. Right. Right. Okay, I can I can get that. I can follow that aspect. But you also say that um, my biggest issue, my biggest fear, I do not like rejection. But you said there is no such thing as rejection. <laughs> well, actually, 
I understand that feeling oh. that you don't like it at all, but it's really yeah. a matter of how, how we define rejection because mm-hmm. rejection really just uh, only exists if we think that the other person's opinion is more important than our own. So if someone, for example, doesn't text me back or doesn't want to go out with me again, mm-hmm. that's free to do that. That's fine. It doesn't mean anything wrong with me. Rejection means I'm interpreting that person's lack of interest as something wrong with me, rather than they just don't want to hang out again. That actually doesn't have to be painful. The way we describe it to ourselves makes it painful. We don't necessarily feel rejected if we meet somebody in a networking meeting and Mm -hmm. we say, let's have coffee sometime, and they say, oh, yeah, let's do that, and then they never do. We don't necessarily right. interpret right. that as rejection. We don't, exactly. But if there's somebody that we like and, and you know, we're supposed to get together and they, they say no, we're supposed to tell ourselves what? You can just say that I, that feels a little sting, but it doesn't take away from me and my attractiveness. Okay, okay. So is that almost like the reason rejection hurts? I'm sorry. Is that almost like you know saying you know there are other fish in the sea? You know, oh well. Another another fish in the sea is uh, probably a really helpful attitude at that moment because there are plenty of fish in the sea. Right. And because this one doesn't want to be with me, I'm going to go find someone who does. Right. Okay. I think what most people do, why rejection is so painful, I know what I used to do before I developed this system, was I used to take that as evidence. If someone didn't want to see me again, I took that as evidence that I wasn't going to find somebody or that I wasn't lovable enough. Mm-hmm. And when I started, yes, exactly. And that his opinion was more important than my own because he didn't want to be with me. Right. And th- through developing this system and learning more about dating and myself, I realized that we're not going to connect really closely with most people. And if I want to be with someone who really wants to be with me, which thank God I found through this process. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to get stuck with someone who feels even 50% about me. So even though that stings in the moment, I Mm -hmm. realized that it's actually, I, I uh, give that person full freedom to not want to be with me and mm-hmm. then I will go find someone who does want to be with me. Exactly. Exactly. I think the place that you really have to work yourself up to um, being a strong because most people who have problems with rejection have some insecurities, some strong insecurities with themselves. So you really have to repair that to get to the attitude um, where basically rejection doesn't bother you anymore. I totally agree with that, Will. It's, uh, they do have some self-esteem issues. I know I used to have them. And uh, you can, in, if any of your listeners are, are challenged with that, they can work on themselves in therapy or with friends or, you know, reading some stuff on the Internet to really repair mm-hmm. that sense of I'm strong, I deserve love, I don't want to be with anybody who doesn't want to be with me. Right. Exactly, exactly. So how can a person open themselves up more to love? Well, I I believe that you can actually use the dating process to practice opening more to love by not participating in the conventional way, but by 
pretty much uh, dating. Most of the dates that you have aren't going to be the one. So when you're on those dates and they're not going to be the one, you can still practice finding what's right with this person, being as loving as possible. What I found in the conventional dating world is when people meet each other, if they're not the one, they want to immediately swipe left and get out of there as fast as possible and tell some terrible story to their friend about how they're wasting their time. And this creates less and less love in their own lives and in the lives of other people. So we can practice through the dating process, sitting there at our coffee date or however we're meeting somebody. And even if this isn't going to turn out to be our life partner, we can practice in that moment being as loving as possible. It can almost be a spiritual exercise or a, a, uh, an exercise of expanding my own heart to sit with this other person, see what's right with them, what's our commonality, how are you and mm-hmm. I the same, how have we both been hurt in life, uh, and then be grateful that we had this lovely meeting with this person, even though we're not going to be best friends and best sexual friends. Right, right. Huh. So instead okay, of the so- dating process having to be cold and full of rejection, it can actually be a process where where we use it to become a more loving person, and then mm-hmm. a more loving person will come into our frequency. Right, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, so Tantra is very therapeutic. So all well, the yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of so Tantra is, is a lot of how Tantra is uh, advertised is that it's just some crazy sex cult but it's actually really about love and uh, sex being an expression of love uh-huh. you don't see that very much in the media it's okay to show sex that is unloving or that's for kicks or that's uh, kinky but it's mm-hmm. not so much okay to show loving sex and Tantra is about using sex as an expression of love openness, mm-hmm. connection wow so how can people find out how, well, first of all, let me back up. You Did I hear you mention that you have a book? Yes, my book is called Tantric Dating, Bringing Love okay. and Awareness to the Dating Process. Okay, and where it's can people on get Amazon. that copy? On Amazon? It's available on Amazon. Okay, awesome. And where can people, if they want to work with you directly, attend some of your workshops, how can they follow up with you and follow you? Well, they can... Uh, Check out my website, uh, which is um, – are you going to have that in the show notes, or should I spell it now? Um, it's also – it's going to be on the site, but if you want to give it out right now, they can also look okay. at the site. It's already listed. Okay, great. My name is Catherine Amon, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-A-U-M-A-N. You can look at my site. You can. Um, I have a Facebook page with that name. I also have a YouTube channel with six, almost 70 videos now. So if you want to check out some videos, learn more about dating the tantric way, dating with more love and awareness, I have all of that on there for you for free. I'd just love to share it with you if any of it's helpful. I just would like more love and awareness in the world, and I feel like uh, the dating process is one area that desperately needs help. <laughs> yeah. needs and, to be totally so revamped. I'm, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Totally revamp so people can live in love. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your information. I really, really appreciate that. 
Thanks for giving me the opportunity, Will. I uh, I really like what you're up to. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We'll be right back. What's going on, everybody? This is Neo for Life Beat. The music industry fights AIDS. When you're drunk or high, all you want to think about is what feels good. But think about this. Two Americans under the age of 21 are infected with HIV every hour of every day. Don't become another statistic. Use protection. To learn more about HIV and AIDS, go on to www.lifebeat.org. Respect yourself. Protect yourself. There, beneath the surface. It waits for the silence, and then it starts slowly, climbing its way up and around what we've built here in our town. It happens every day in our communities, schools, and workplaces. Sexual violence thrives when we remain silent about these crimes. We can use our voices and have the positive conversation that can stop this problem from growing in our community. Sexual violence thrives in silence. Let's talk about it. Welcome back. Well, I want to thank my guest, Miss Catherine Oman, for coming on and basically clearing up some misconceptions which I had about tantric dating. Like she said, I thought it was something kinky. I knew it had something to do with sex, but I know it was as deep and profound as um, it was basically all about intimacy, true intimacy. Um, and I, could, I agree. You know, conventional dating is a, a little too much ruled by the superficial swipe left, swipe right. So uh, make sure that you visit her at KatherineOman.com So you can get a copy of her book And if you're in the LA area If you want to connect with her um, Next week we have Miss Margaret Placentra Johnson She's going to come on to talk about Connecting with that thing That's greater than ourselves That's what people call them God I call him God but you know, Whatever you call him uh, We all need to have that higher You know, that um, that we pull our strength from. So she's going to come on next week and talk to us about um, connecting to that, that greater good, that higher being in our lives. Um, again, make sure that if you know anybody who is has dealt with, dealing with, or at risk of kidney disease, make sure that you come to tune into the show. Make sure they go to um, kidney.org to get information. If you are a caretaker, you want to get involved in advocacy. Um, you can either contact me if you are um, on the East Coast. Um, I can put you in contact with any anyone that you need as far as advocacy, as far as getting help, getting advice. Um, just give me a call. You can you can um, email me at lfiradiohost at gmail dot com, um, and I'll be happy to help you. Until next one, and until next week, everybody, be blessed. Thanks for tuning in to tonight's show. I hope you get a chance during the week to visit our site at livewithwill.com for up-to-date show information, including exclusive opportunities and exciting upcoming interviews. Be sure to tune in next week, same place, same time, for another informative show of real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.